So thinking about multiple futures, thinking about de-risking ideas and think and realizing that, you know, there is no certain fixed outcome that anyone can guarantee anymore. So we have to sort of plan for multiple futures and spread our bets. Some will work, some won't. And then those that don't work, could there's still a value in that learning. And we'll sort of absorb that into sort of the next go around. And it does feel to me, though, it's almost that that time has really come now for more of an adaptive approach right across the board. Love that concept of adaptive uh, futures and adaptive strategy. And uh, but then what's preventing leaders from doing that, right? There's some fear. Is it the fear of failure, the fear of wanting to take risks? What is it that is preventing leaders from doing that today? I mean, I wonder, does it start just with, with ego and the fact that the notion that a leader conventionally is someone that was expected to have all the answers and was expected to have certainty to their direction and the the, the fact that them showing a, a vulnerability or a not knowing an answer might have been construed in the past as a sign of, of weakness. And, you know, if we can sort of flip that equation and sort of bring that to the surface and bring that to the fore, I think it could lead to much more productive conversations, much more also engaged employees and teams, and uh, hopefully an easier ride too for that leader as they go about their day. Yeah. And I'll add up to that, something that I would observe in the leaders I work with is most of them have been trained to operate a business at steady state. So, so the operators, it's copy exactly, replicate this model, keep the wheels on the bus, you know, those kinds of things. A far smaller segment of leaders have been trained in the whole process of bringing new competitive advantages into being, right? The whole innovation, growth, sort of doing new things process. And very few have been trained when an innovation has run its course when, you know, when a competitive advantage has come and gone, how do you disengage? How do you transform, right? If you're selling, you know, Sony Walkman <laughs> in 2021, you're going to have a very small addressable market. And so things have to change. So the innovation skill and the transformation skills are where I think a lot of people, they don't know that there's a toolbox for this. They don't know that there are tried and true practices that are every bit as reliable as you would use in running the ongoing business. It's just, you've never learned them. So, so talking about those toolboxes, could you elaborate a bit more on that, Rita? I know in some of the books that you've published, you've talked about the tools, the approaches for that. Maybe share a little bit more on that, please. Sure. So um, among the tools that I'm probably best known for is a technique called discovery-driven planning. And discovery-driven planning has its seeds actually quite amusingly in a, a series of case studies that I did. And I store the copies of these case studies in a file I call my flops. It's just over there in my office. <laughs> you have to lose your parent company at least $50 million to get into my flops file. And in there are things like the original version of Euro Disney, Revlon's Vital Radiance line of cosmetics designed for ladies of a certain age, who don't want to be reminded of this at the cosmetics counter, right? right? No, we don't want that. Or cargo lifter, which was this idea that we're gonna we're gonna have these huge blimps and they're gonna deliver cargo goods to landlocked countries. One small problem: how do you keep the blimp in place when <laughs> the, the, you know the cargo's been offloaded? Oh, we've got it. We'll fill the hold with thousands of gallons of water. Anyway, <laughs> so I could go on and on. But these flops, what we found was a common pattern: untested assumptions taken as facts very few opportunities for low commitment testing. So we're not taking it step by step, we're leaping in all at once. Very often all the funding upfront 
So not no sense of staged funding, very high expectations, very often a leader personally associated with this is going to work, you know, and, and nobody was allowed to sort of disagree. And so what we said was, why don't we flip that whole process on its head and say, when you're in a world where you have a lot of assumptions relative to knowledge, your primary goal is learning. So converting assumptions into knowledge. And so one of the tools is this technique called discovery driven learning in which it goes as follows you define what success would look like before you start so you know you'd be astonished how many innovation teams or growth teams or even strategy teams i say to them what does good look like and they don't even know they haven't answered it uh then you work backward and you say well what would have to be true and so there's some tools that go with that there's a thing called a reverse income statement which basically says you know, if I want to make $100,000 for myself at the end of the year and my return on sales is 20%, well, that means my required revenue is 500000 and you can work your way back into the rest of what has to be true in the plan. So define success, do some benchmarking, right? I just recently did an analysis of the Zillow uh, house flipping business. Mm -hmm. And just doing the math, you could see, given what their revenue expectations were, that it was out of sync with what the market did there. So do some benchmarking. Third thing is specify operationally, like what's going to have to happen, how many miles of cable, how many people making sales calls, you know, how much is it going to cost you for shipping? And, you know, that's where you sort of take your plan from Thoughtland, <laughs> you know, this magical place where there are unicorns and nothing ever goes wrong to wait a minute, you know, if I need to send 50,000 packages, is my local post office even going to be able to support that? And then as you're doing that, you're making assumptions. So what we want to do is document those assumptions. And then the most important part of the plan is planning through a series of key checkpoints, where a checkpoint is the next thing you're going to do that teaches you something. So typical checkpoints would be things like customer interviews, create a prototype. Prototype doesn't work, so you revise your prototype. Defining digitally how you're going to add value in the digital space. So discovery-driven planning is an example of one of those tools. And what we're doing at Belize, by the way, is we're trying to make these things actual, real. Like there's a computer software spine that it has. It supports the documentation of checkpoints. It allows you to connect budgets to actual learning. And so it's providing a, a really concrete a way of managing these uncertain projects, which is not undisciplined. And this is where I think people get, get it wrong. <laughs> Innovation is not undisciplined. It's just a really different discipline than you would use in your core predictable business. And anything else that you'd like to add on that? This that was absolutely fantastic, Rita. And, and I love the practical tips and the examples on the that you just provided. And anything else you'd like to add on top of that? I do love this notion of the, the disciplined chaos or that the method behind the madness, which is something we have to sort of talk about a lot in order to to get people to trust in that person and trust in the fact that actually it is quite systematic. It's just a systematic way about going about discovery or finding something that's not so obvious in retrospect. I think uh, one of the one of the tools or things we would use as part of that process is also flipping it too. So it's not just looking at you know profit pools, but what we call problem pools, right? So actually looking to identify what are sort of those unmet needs in terms of how valuable they are, how much people are willing to pay for them and how often they feel them. What is the relative pain or need that is there? And if you can sort of create a map of the profit pool or the problem pools rather to go after, I think it, it can be a really good sort of guiding a guiding map, if you like, to source from some of those newer, truly disruptive innovations that others aren't seeing and are right now sort of shrouded by sort of existing categories and existing way they're being monetized. That's great. Rita, what practical tips would you offer our listeners 
that they can put into action right away, right? So for leaders, executives in these uncertain times that are actually driving for growth, what practical tips can they, can you provide that they can put into action? So one practical trip, one practical tip is to document your assumptions. You know, start every meeting with, uh, you know, here's what we assume, here's what we've learned, here's how we've updated our assumptions. So give people permission to learn, right? I think that's a really important uh, tip that you can make. And you do that by recognizing that you have assumptions. I mean, I think a lot of uh, leaders, as Enda has pointed out, you know, they get hung up on being right, right? So if you can give yourself permission to not be right, to say, well, my hypothesis about this is the price should be $68. And we're going to go out and look for disconfirming evidence that may or may not be true. And we'll get a lot closer to what the right answer is. So I think articulate your assumptions. I think the second thing you have to get much better about is creating a psychologically safe place in your environment where people can bring you uncomfortable news. You know, I talk to a lot of leaders and they're still in this, don't bring me a problem without suggesting a solution mindset. And a lot of the big hairy problems you need to learn about as a leader do not have a ready-made solution. They're going to require a creative, imaginative response. And if you never even hear about them, you're hopeless. You know, you can't even marshal the resources to solve those problems. So I think documenting your assumptions, creating a psychologically safe space within which to operate. This, by the way, comes from Amy Edmondson's work. She has a great book called The Fearless Organization, which I can highly recommend. And then I think the third thing would be to mark small wins along the way. So, okay, we didn't solve the problem of, you know, how are we all going to remote work? But, you know, what you did yesterday on creatively using Zoom to do X, Y, Z really helped the team move forward, you know? small wins so that people feel a sense of progress. You know, I think one of the things the pandemic has done is it's really warped our sense of time and accomplishment. And, you know, I mean, here we are, it's what December of 2021. And I feel like 2021, like, was that even a year? <laughs> you know, or was it just 2020, just extending forever? And so I think the more you can help people mark accomplishment, mark progress, get a sense of forward momentum, um, I think that really helps as well. 